Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Comic Source Comic Boom collaboration. We are back to talk about another Best Jacket Comixology original. Uh, this time we're going to be talking about Night of the Ghoul number three. Uh, as all Best Jacket projects so far have been, written by Scott Snyder. Uh, in this one, he's teaming up with the incredible Francesco Francavilla to give us this horror story. And I mean, it's hard to overstate how perfect Francesco's style is for uh for horror comics so uh, he's he's the perfect person to uh you know partner up with snyder on this and, and we have letters from and world design um and francesco not only does the line work he does the colors as well and it's just a very intriguing and creepy and tension-filled story uh and i'm not usually a, a horror guy but there's a lot to to like here i love sort of the roots of the story that uh, Scott's talked about it before on our show and other shows about coming up with this idea of the ghoul, which is sort of the the monster of all monsters, all the other, you know, mo classic monster legends stem from the ghoul in, in various ways. Um, like if bodies are left bloodless because of what the ghoul has done to them, they're blamed on uh, vampires, uh, the ghoul hibernating at times led to the uh, kind of the legend of the mummy and all that kind of uh, different stuff. And, and the ghoul is ancient and evil. And uh, it's a fan fascinating sort of take on, on classic monsters. So uh, I definitely enjoy the series and it's uh, I would recommend it for horror fans for sure. Um, and this, this issue, I think, in a lot of ways brings some context to the story in terms of the the main characters orson and forrest uh, kind of a father-son duo which i think lends some needed weight to the story in terms of bringing stakes um you know we always need to care about the characters uh, and while it's been an intriguing idea in the first two issues with what we learn about forrest and orson and the mother uh, in the story uh, orson's mom forrest's wife a strange wife, I should say, with what we learn about them and, and the relationship, I think it's a way for Snyder and Frank Avia to get us to invest in these characters. And it makes the stakes and it makes the impending appearance of the ghoul and, and the foreshadowing of what is going to happen that much worse because, you know, we're starting to care about these characters. So uh, overall, I thought it was a really strong issue. What do you think, Rocky? Yeah, I, uh, I I I enjoyed this. I I had the benefit of rereading the the second issue because I had missed reviewing with you the second issue, and uh, and it it I, I enjoyed it much more because I I felt they were actually actually fairly quick reads, uh, they, they, uh and that that that's a good thing because I mean I I wanted to you know I, it, it's a story that once you get invested in it. It, you can tell there's horror here. You can tell that the, this is not a good thing. That this ghoul has a, has a very rich history, and uh, and this this third issue really builds upon that. And Frankavilla's art just you know establishes the horror right in that opening page, <laughs> where where you got the uh, you got uh, you know Mr. Patrick, the, uh, who's the dire former director of, of Merit you know, looking right at the page with his burnt face saying, it's right behind you, run, it's the ghoul. And 
the, the history going back to the his making of the film and the history of it and all the people that have been impacted by it, especially that which is emphasized by the juxtaposition in the in the past with uh, what with what appears to be a young Alex Merritt. Uh, and his father coming back from the war, uh, whose men were, which is what he based the film on, his father's uh, experiences in the war. It, it really hits home. This this issue three really brought the full narrative into focus for me in terms of how all the pieces kind of fit together, and with the revelation about what's what's happened to, uh, to uh, Inman's uh, wife that he didn't even know about, but his son knew about. And his vested interest in, in finding that last piece of the Night of the Ghoul film. This came together really well. Yeah, and the other thing about it is is how personal I know this must be for, for Scott. We talked about it when he was on the show last. You know, he's got a couple of sons. It's that whole father-son dynamic. And it really hit home for me uh, in the car when... Uh, so basically, let me, let me give a, a, a quick recap, right? So... Forrest Inman has a job at a film studio restoring old film. And that's where he came across this Night of the Ghoul film, which was this legendary horror film, supposedly the greatest horror film of all time that Merritt, um, as a director, had had created, Alex Merritt, who, like Rocky said, was telling basically a sort of an autobiographical story of his father who came home from World War II infected with the ghoul. Uh, so under what's intimated as mysterious circumstances, there was a fire at the studio. Much of the film, supposedly the, all the film was destroyed. Night of the Ghoul was destroyed. It was never released. Uh, I think it's hinted at that it caused the studio to go into bankruptcy and, and have a lot of bad luck and, and what have you. So uh, that studio is probably bought by another studio. Inman is working for this later studio. Decades and decades later, he comes across pieces of film. Now, keep in mind that Inman, he doesn't want to be a he doesn't want to be a digital film restorer, right? His dream is to be a director himself and he loves horror. Uh, so when he comes across these remnants of the old film, Night of the Ghoul, he's he's very much becomes obsessed with it and he wants to find the, the last pieces. He wants to restore it. He wants to have it see the light of day. And he tr tracks down through a very uh, laborious uh, effort. He goes and finds out that Alex Merritt has moved all these places over the years, sort of running from something is, is kind of the impression you get. He, uh, Inman doesn't necessarily think that he's, he's probably more thinking that this guy just wanted to stay hidden for whatever reason, but he tracks him down. He's not that far away from where Inman himself lives, I think in Southern California, uh, in this nursing home. So he goes to see him late at night, fakes his way in as this insurance, uh, person who's come to, to talk to Merritt about his insurance, um, and he's, again, he's going by a different name, going by uh, Patrick, um, Mr. Patrick. And so Inman's there and he introduces himself and says, hey, actually what I'm here about is, you know, the ghoul and and right away Merrick's like, well, you've, do you've doomed us all. The fact that you're out in the open talking about it, the fact that you've watched the film, because again, there's uh, there's so much lore around this idea of the ghoul. There's this society that that worships the ghoul and um, and loves the fact that the ghoul prevents the human race from getting too big for its britches in, in a lot of ways. And there used to be a, another society that was um, dedicated to, to wiping out the ghoul and going up against that. So the, the society that worships the ghoul is called the Order of the Fly. And the society that was uh, 
sort of the antithesis of that was the Order of the Scarab, and, and they were dedicated to, to wiping out the ghoul. But the Order of the Scarab, we're told, it has, had been wiped out a while ago, so now it's just the Order of the Fly. They protect the secret of the ghoul. They make sure the ghoul is around and at various times purges, uh, purges the human race through plagues and all kinds of other sort of disasters, right? So now that, um, and the Order of the Fly does everything it can to, to and they were probably behind the, the fire at the studio and, and preventing the Night of the Ghoul movie from coming out. So now that uh, Forrest Inman has discovered this and gone to talk to Alex Merritt, the director Merritt's smart enough to know, well, you probably just unleashed the ghoul again, right? They're going to, the Order of the Fly is gonna make sure that the ghoul matures and kind of wipes everybody out. And this knowledge is, is not widespread because you gotta keep it a secret, right? So the ghoul can continue to, to work kind of behind the scenes. And so that's sort of the situation that we find ourselves after the first issue or going, going into the first issue. So uh, what's great about the story is that Frank Avia and Scott Snyder, they're giving us two narratives. At various times, we get in black and white scenes from the movie. Um, and then we're also getting in, in sort of these muted color tones, limited color palette, the story of what's actually happening in uh, in the nursing home. So it's fascinating to to get those dual narratives and uh, Forrest Inman in, in hopes of, he knows his son's a bit of a horror fan too. They're a little bit estranged because Forrest Inman is, is uh, split up from the wife right now. And we learn a little bit about that in this issue. And so they're, they're not getting along the best and Orson doesn't even, doesn't really want to be there. And so he kind of goes snooping around, he causes some issues and ultimately they, even though you think that it's not going to happen, um, they are actually allowed to leave. Like I, I think in the second issue, it very much felt like Forrest and Orson were, were trapped there and they were going to be killed by the ghoul, uh, this Dr. Skin, who sort of runs the, the nursing home. But between what Orson does, snooping around and, and raising some suspicions and Dr. Skin having called the uh, the insurance company and finding out that Forrest Inman isn't who he says he is. Maybe because he doesn't want to raise any flags. If I mean, he doesn't, this Dr. Skin guy, he doesn't know if Forrest and Orson told anybody where they were going, you know, and if they disappear, people may come around looking. So I, I sort of get the impression that's why he, he chooses to kind of kick them out, right? Basically says, you need to leave now. Get, get the hell out of the facility. You can call the police. I can call the police or you can get the hell out of my facility. And so they decide to leave. Uh, but it, maybe in the most poignant scene, and again, this is what reminded me of, of Snyder, uh, because I know how much Scott worries about the success of his, of his work and wanting to leave, you know, a lasting legacy for his sons. And, you know, you want to be successful and, and provide for your family. And, and we get a little bit of that from, from Forrest Inman here. And this, this kind of, goes into what I was saying earlier about the fact he doesn't want to be a, a digital film restorer, right? He wants to be so much more than that. And he's, he's talking to Orson because Orson, his son is like, God, what, you know, why did we do this? This was dumb. You know, I just want to want to go back home and, and, you know, be with mom and the fact you're trying to find the last part of this film and like, and or, from Orson's perspective, he's like, he tells his father, you know, mom has Parkinson's and you didn't even know because you're not around and she's taking medication. But if you were around more, you would notice. 
and Forrest is, is again, he's, he's obsessed with the film, but he's obsessed with it in such a way because he wants to be successful. He wants to leave something for his son. So there's a disconnect there. Um, Forrest's obsession is sort of driven by his love for his family. He wants to be successful for them, but he's kind of missing the forest for the trees. And that's what I'm talking about when I say kind of these emotional beats to the story and, and learning about what's going on with, uh, with Forrest's wife, Orson's mother, and her disease and how much they both care about her clearly um how much it makes these characters more real and more relatable and adds some some stakes to the stories so ultimately what happens is is forrest decides he they're leaving they're driving away and he, he goes you know what i may never have another chance to talk to to alex Merritt. i give me 10 15 minutes and he, he runs off and orson's like dad wait what are you doing uh and he sneaks back in to talk to Merritt, and Merritt's like you know what are you doing here? You should have left. And as he's talking to him, skin comes in with, uh, with a guard and they basically, the, he has the guard basically beat the crap out of Alex Merritt, like physically with a, like a mag light, just beat the crap out of him. And it's, it's horrific. It, you know, not necessarily in a, in a traditional horror, you know, like it's scary kind of way, but just in a, a brutal way, like how much they just beat on the guy and break bones or whatever. And then, <laughs> Um, the last panel skin does finally release some of the, the ghoul onto merit. So I, I don't know if they're there, if one thing has to do with the other, if they just wanted to punish him first and then sick these maggots or whatever they are on, onto Alex, or if it was a situation where they were weakening his body. So the ghoul would have a better chance of infecting him. Uh, I don't know, but it, it's, it's very visceral and brutal art from Frank Avia. And, uh, like it, it was, it was, it, it's a tough scene to read. Um, but again, the, the emotional scene between Forrest and Orson in the car, I thought was like, that's been the best moment of the story so far for me, just because it's added so much context. Like I said, it makes you care about the characters, you know, and, and it, like before I was more intrigued with the sort of concept of the ghoul and, and curious about what might happen. Now I find myself rooting for Forrest and rooting for Orson that, man, I hope they make it out of this alive. So. Uh, uh I, I, I found myself very uh, frustrated with uh, with Forrest, with the father here. I mean, it, you know, even if the ghoul did not exist, the horror part of this is even if even if the ghoul didn't exist, the his Forrest's obsession with the film Night of the Ghoul would still exist. So even if the ghoul really was just only a creature of fiction and not real, but we know the ghoul is real. But if even if the ghoul wasn't real. And that horror element was removed from the story. The horror element of the story is Forrest's obsession with getting the film. And what, what is truly horrific and really tragic here is that his one chance at potentially, I mean, he's, his son tells him, you know, mom's got Parkinson's. Mom's losing her body while Forrest is losing his mind to an obsession to a film. That's that's the true human horror element here that has nothing to do with the ghoul. And so it, to me, that's, that's what I find fascinating and interesting is that we, we have a real life, we have like, like the movie horror ghoul playing out, but yet uh, Forrest's obsession is, it has a horror, as a horror element to it as well. It's tragic. I mean, it, he has an opportunity. He could go back to his wife, but even after being told, given him one shot, by the way, mom's got Parkinson. So let's go see mom. What does he think? He's still obsessed with going back to get the film. The ghoul never asked him to come back. 
I mean, I don't know how many more opportunities they'd had to actually leave the place, potentially unscathed. But Forrest keeps going back. I mean, he really truly is the author of his own misfortune in this horror tale. And that's what's that's what's almost tragic about this. I mean, how many times do we talk about horror movies where, you know, the, the big trope is that, you know, why do they go into a, why do they go into the dark room? Why do they keep going back to the dark place? You know, why do they why don't they just leave, you know? <laughs> but I mean, here it is. I mean, Snyder really plays into it, but it's convincing because you can so obsessed as Forrest that you can believe that this guy is stupid enough and crazy enough to go back to the place that's causing all this pain and suffering. But it's very well done by by Snyder. It's believable and and like I said, the human stakes in this in this third issue really raise the ante and make this thing much more believable. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, it, it is tragic because you want to kind of knock him over the head and go, dude. You, your son just told you that you're, you're the, this woman that you're estranged from that you proclaim still to love. And you're clearly there's in context from some of the things Forrest says, you know, he says, well, your mom and I aren't together. And he says, well, for now, you know, like he, he clearly harbors this hope that they will get back together. But yeah, it's this obsession. And, and I, it's a little, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt, right? Like it's a little bit like you want to believe him when he says, the reason he's obsessed with this film is because he thinks that it will allow him to better himself, right? He, if he, if he can put the film together and release it, he'll get a chance to be something more than just a film restorer. Maybe he'll get a chance to be director, provide better for his family. You got to put that aside at, at this moment that you find out that your wife's dying of an incurable disease, right? <laughs> so you want to give him the benefit of that. But again, this is the, the, the beauty of what Snyder and Frank Avia have done here. They're, they're walking this line where you can sort of see both sides and Forrest is a little bit of a sympathetic character because you know that, yeah, he wants to be the best Forrest that he can be and provide for his family. But at the same time, or is it the obsession that's driving him? There's a little bit of a, like, you're not sure which one it is. And, and again, it, it provides relatability. And the other thing that I love about this character, right? That just the fact that his name is Forrest, because I can't help but think, especially in this situation, here's a guy, that can't see the forest for the trees, right? Like <laughs> yeah. he can't, his wife yeah. is dying of an incurable disease. His son, who he's somewhat estranged from, uh, from as well because of the, you know, the marital situation, his son just opened up to him tremendously in the car. And he goes right, like, you want to be the best you then start with being, start with what you can control. You can be the best father. You can be the best husband. You can be by staying in that moment with your son. Instead, you run off. This guy cannot see the forest for the trees. And I wonder, and I'll have to ask Scott next time he comes on, did he purposely name him Forrest for that reason? <laughs> Was it that, and, that uh, saying, forest for the trees? And it's interesting. And a young, a young Alex uh, Skerritt, uh, the young director, when he was, uh, when he was a boy, uh, his father, he, you know, he wanted, he got to, went to Uncle Johnny and, and the men of his father's infantry division there to try to help his father uh, to protect his father from the monsters and he saw you know young young Alex Garrett saw his father eat dead things and eat dead animals and I, I mean he actually he saw young Alex Garrett saw his dad obsessed with the ghoul and, and become an infected by the ghoul and that father-son relationship was obviously very dysfunctional and and yet, so is this one between between Forrest and his son here, uh, even even in the absence of the duel, just from their dysfunctional relationship. So, you know, you don't 
I mean, it, it's very interesting that you don't need, we don't need real life ghouls in our life to dis, to destroy our relationships. We, we, we're quite capable of doing it ourselves, as unfortunately Forrest is a great example of. And he just can't, he, Forrest can't forgive himself. He can't allow him, so he can't accept the fact that his son or his wife might love him just the way he is, even if he isn't a successful filmmaker. And it's, it, it's really sad. And um, this is very well done. It's, it's, we, we talked before when we talked about in the first issue about how this is a sort of a juxtaposition, not only between scenes from the present and the past, but also between different types of, you know, a different father-son relationship. The first one, of course, between uh, uh, Forrest and his son, and then the in the past one between uh, young Alex Garrett and, and his father, who first encountered the ghoul in, in, in World War II. That ultimately was the inspiration to have young Scared, uh, Alex grow up to be a director to create the movie in the first place. So, it's it, like I said. This is a there's there's a wonderful synchronicity in the in the in the settings of this story, and in the in the tale that Snyder is telling, and Frank Avila's art just just absolutely makes it pop off the page. Yeah, and and you would think the fact that uh, that Forrest Inman has seen most of the most of the film, most of the Night of the Ghoul film about Alex Merritt and his father, um, that he he would through that learn the lesson, right? But again, he can't see the forest for the trees because early on in the film, when the elder Merritt is overseas and, and um, you know, member of his group, he talks early on about, God, I just want to get through this war and get home to be with my son, right? Yeah. Like he clearly cares so much about his son and, and, and just wants to go and be with him. And then, you know, through a series of events, get in, infected with the ghoul. And when he comes back is, is clearly not himself. And, and, the young Alex Merritt, when he meets him, when, when the elder Merritt gets off the ship, it's, you know, it's clear that this is not who his dad, you know, his dad's not the same person he was when he left. And then like Rocky said, he, the young Alex Merritt sees his father eating dead things and knows that there's something wrong there. And, and there's a tragedy there as well. Right. And Forrest has watched this. <laughs> like it should be a warning. Hey, you can pre prevent tragedy in your, in your own life by being yeah. there with your son in, in a way if you think about it in a way just like the elder merit was infected with the ghoul forest is infected with the ghoul as well maybe not physically but spiritually right he's so obsessed with it with you know finding yeah. the rest of this film and it's taken over his life so in a way he's as infected as the elder uh, yeah. as the elder merit was so and yeah, again so much so many great little things like that in the story that Snyder and Frank Avila have built. I, I would add that the, the suspense that uh, of, upon which issue three ends is we as the readers and neither does Forrest. We don't know the ending of the film. Forrest is looking for the last piece of the film to actually know, to, to discover how it ends. He's seen most of it, but he's looking for that last piece. And of course, that's why he goes back to the hospital, to that, to, to the, to the institution. He wants, he wants, uh, you know, you know, merit to tell him where is the last piece of the film, and we as readers, through through uh, through the story, we've seen bits and pieces of the film, you know, interspersed in the in this tale, as as the as the story goes back and forth between the present and the past, and so I'm curious as hell to know. What happened with Alex Merritt's father? I mean, I'm assuming obviously the worst happened. This is a horror comic after all, <laughs> but I'm really curious to know, you know. 
Alex Merritt clearly survived and went on to make the film, but I wonder, did what was the fate of Alex Merritt? Uh, sorry, Alex Merritt's father, uh, and was that same fate uh, depicted uh, in the film? It's uh, I'm I'm really curious. So I mean, yeah, this is not only is this a lot of horror, a lot of horror elements here, but it's it's very suspenseful because I'm very curious to know how this is going to end. And this is four issues long, right? This ends in four issues. Yeah, it's four four issues long. So I think yeah. there's there's one more. And yeah, you bring up a good point, right? So young Alex Merritt, whatever's going to happen with his father probably doesn't save him. It it is you know like you said a horror story, a tragic story. Um, and he does create this film, you know, supposedly the greatest horror film of all time, Night of the Ghoul, even though no one ever sees it. And it's sort of hinted at that the reason that Merritt did this was to get the word of the ghoul out there, right? To, so the wider world would know about the ghoul. Is this the best way to do it, to do that? So you have to wonder, like, <laughs> was, it, was he doing it? And he thought, well, if I make it as a form of fiction, as make-believe, maybe I can sneak it out under the, the nose of the Order of the Fly and they, they won't realize what I'm doing. You got to wonder, right? Because you would think if he knows about the ghoul, uh, finds out, discovers, I mean, he, they go and talk to a, a professor in this issue uh, and, and learn more about the, the ghoul or the gull, as she calls it, who's been around since ancient times. Like, there's got to be a better ways to do it, like pictures in the newspaper or, or something, right? So <laughs> yeah. I wonder if that'll be something that's revealed in the in the final issue as well. well so on the other hand, Chase, I'll just say, I mean, we all know who Freddy Krueger is and Jason of Friday the 13th. Uh, yeah, that's I mean, true. So, I mean, hey, come on. I mean, horror movies that are successful can 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 put it, you know, and maybe we don't even know. Maybe it, it would seem to me that this reminds me a little bit of fables. Do, if the more people know about the ghoul, does that give the ghoul more power? Does that give the order of the uh, fly which uh, more power and the order of the flies seems to be the organized, seems to be the mysterious group of people that give power to the ghoul and they battle against the Legion of the Scarab, which have apparently been wiped out. And, and I'm wondering, is there any potential survivors of Legion, legions of the Scarab? Are, are, are they, they going to rise again to fight the ghoul? Will issue four end on a cliffhanger with the, with a, with a Legion of the Scarab being formed again, the battle, the order of the fly to battle against the ghoul. I mean, this has a potential mythology behind it that could be built upon in, in subsequent, uh, in subsequent storylines as well. I mean, this could be almost like the, you know, we could have further stories featuring the ghoul. So you know, why not? Yeah, it'll be. I I see no reason why this this uh, this story and the idea of the ghoul couldn't live in the same uh, universe as uh, the series that that Scott does with Jock Witches. That would be interesting to have like a Night of the Ghoul Witches crossover. So who knows who knows what the the future might hold there. But yeah, I, I'm I'm you know really enjoying this. Uh, it's you know, pitch perfect art, like I said, from, from Frank of Frank Avia and, and the color work, very curious how it, it all, it's all going to wind up here. And, and yeah, I, I feel the same way. I think the only way I could be disappointed is if the Legion of the Scarab does show up at the end and, and kind of saves the day and wraps everything up in like a neat, nice, neat bow. Yeah. I have total confidence that Scott's not going to do that. Yeah, you know, I, I don't I think don't, so. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't, I don't expect a happy ending. <laughs> um, because it's just not that kind of story, but that would be the only way I would, I would feel like the, yeah, that narrative, that ending wouldn't fit what we've gotten so far. I would feel like I had the rug pulled out from under me. Um, 
so I, d I don't expect that, but th that would be the only way I'd be uh, a little bit disappointed. But yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait to see how it ends. Fantastic story. And I, even, and again, e even if much like myself, you're not a big horror fan, uh, horror comic fan, this is not like bloody or gory. There's not like gratuitous violence. Like I said, the, those, that two page spread where the, the orderly is kind of breaking um, some of Alex Merritt's bones with the Magli, even that it's, it's not brutal. There's not a lot of blood. It's, it's, you know, it's a little bit visceral and, and it's more what you bring to the story, you know, that makes it kind of, kind of tough. Um, so, I mean, this is, I don't think this is something where it's going to give you nightmares or, or anything like that. So even if you're not into horror comics, I'd say, give, give it a try. And just a reminder, everybody, this is, you know, a best jacket comiXology original. So there's three ways you can get it. You can go to Amazon, go to comiXology, buy the individual issue. If you have an Amazon prime account, you, Get all the Comixology originals for free. Just, again, go to Amazon, do a search for Night of the Ghoul number three, and you can download it and read it right there on your computer on uh, the Kindle uh, reader that pops up in your web browser. Or if you have uh, a subscription to uh, Comixology Unlimited, which is the most cost-effective way, uh, because not only do you get all the Comixology originals, you get a library of over 40,000 other books. Um, and whenever these new best jacket titles drop, you'll, you'll have access as well. So, uh, three ways to get it. And, uh, I definitely recommend checking it out. So, uh, as we're wrapping up here, Rocky, any final thoughts? Uh, no, I'm, I'm really curious. I'm really curious to see how this ends and, uh, you know, I'm on with, with, with bated breath. So, I mean, yeah, this is, this, this is really good. Scott Snyder continues to impress me. And, uh, I, I just, I just realized I'm, as I'm putting together my best overall comics, I did my bet. I did my top, my top 20 DC comics video, but I'm going to be top when I do my top comic books overall, uh, not just DC, but others, I got to remember to add comics college to the list. Cause, uh, there's definitely some Scott Snyder titles that are going to be in that, on that list for 2021. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, these best jacket titles that are, that are coming out are, are fantastic. You know, we've really been enjoying them. I feel like it's some of Scott's best work in years. And I credit so much of it to the passion of both Scott and also his collaborators. The fact that these are properties that they own and they're putting their all into it and there's no restrictions, right? There's no big giant editorial corporation above them saying, well, no, you can't do that. You can't do this because, you know, it might affect the bottom line of how many pajamas we sell or, you know, candy bars or, or whatever, you know, whatever licensing there may be. Like they own this stuff lock, stock and barrel and they can do whatever they want. Sky's the limit. Uh, and it's why I'm loving Night of the Ghoul. It's why I'm loving We Have Demons that he's doing with Greg Capullo uh, and, and Clear has been fantastic. We reviewed that yesterday. Uh, so you guys can go check that out or two days ago, I think the episode dropped. So you can go check that out if you want. So uh, anyway, yeah, we're, we're really digging them. Um, kudos to Scott and Francesco for this uh, issue. And like I said, we should have Scott back on uh, next next month. So I'll probably reach out on social media. Make sure you're following the, the comic source on Twitter and ask if anybody has any questions. Um, I think the next time he comes on, we're going to talk a little about what he's been reading and enjoying. But of course, I, there are a few things that we'll, we'll touch on. I definitely want to ask him about the naming uh, this character Forrest, if it had anything to do with kind of Forrest for the trees or not. <laughs> Uh, it just seems so perfect, right? That's the guy's personality. So, well, uh, anyway. either that or he's got, you know, either that or he's as dense as Forrest Gump. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point too. But, anyways, uh, but anyway, that's going to do it, everybody. Uh, we appreciate you joining us as always. Don't forget if you're checking us out, 
uh, on the audio only podcast, head over to YouTube, do a search for Rocky's channel, comic boom, comic space, boom, exclamation point. Make sure you subscribe, ring that notification bell. Uh, so you know when new content comes out and go ahead and give this video a like. Conversely, if you always check us out on YouTube, be sure you head over to your favorite podcast app or platform, do a search for the comic source and subscribe there so you don't miss any of our audio only content. So uh, wishing everybody a happy new year. Just a couple of days here. Be safe. Uh, please don't drink and drive. Uh, there's Ubers and Lyfts and all kinds of services for New Year's Eve. So uh, if you have a few too many, please don't get behind the wheel. Uh, and, and just have a great time, everybody. Um, looking forward to a, a prosperous and successful 20 and healthy 2022 for everybody. So Absolutely. That, that's going to do it for this episode. And we'll talk to you next time. See you later. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.